tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. Jeremy touched on this a while back when he was going through Paul's different epistles. And uh, let's start in chapter 3, Catherine, if we could, verse 1. It says, This know also, that in the last days, perilous or dangerous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Everybody knows what to blaspheme is, right? Okay. And they'll be disobedient to parents and unthankful and unholy. This is kind of like the age that we live in right now. This is exactly where we are. And our country is in better shape than a lot of places that have just pretty much given up the fight completely. But we live in a time of great disobedience to parents and unthankful. Um, the Bible teaches us that we're to be grateful for the things that God has done for us and not focus on the things that he hasn't done Give him time. We need to work out our own salvation and be patient about it. But we need to be thankful people because the world is not thankful right now. I remember the day I got saved and how thankful I felt that day. And I've tried many times in my life when I was getting into a spirit of ungratefulness and things like that, which happens to everybody if you're not careful. Depression will bring it on. And what will happen is you'll become unthankful for the things that God has done. And, uh, you know, we were coming up here tonight and the sky was blue. You say, well, that's, why is that a big deal? Because God made that for our enjoyment. And I'm grateful just for that. I have a real problem with winters anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So thank God for summer. The hotter the better because I can really operate in that so I thank God I can, but we live in a time, verse 3 says, without natural affection. Um, Mike was teaching out of uh, Romans last week about, it's a perfect description of the last days and what's going on in our society and in the world. People have lost their natural affection. As I read the book of Genesis, you read that God created man and woman in his image. You notice how he created man and woman. He didn't create two men. He created man and woman. Now that leads me to believe that he had a purpose in that. And his purpose was, because he loved the world, that he gave his only son, but his purpose was for us to enjoy and, and prosper. He said, prosper and subdue the earth Adam got to name the animals and everything like that. So he has a certain order that he expects us to follow. And we live in a day where natural affection is not a real popular thing. Our society right now has some buzzwords that they're using that um, I'm trying to figure out what they really mean. We have 
uh, people in Congress that are progressive. They say that they're progressive, which means they want to change anything that has any moral foundation to it. They want to do away with all restraints. It says that in the Psalms, throw off the restraints. Also, they said to Peter, where's the promise of your God? What's he taking so long? So they claim that they're progressive. Then another word that they use is enlightened, that they're enlightened. Well, I got news for them. There's only one light, and that's God is the light. In the beginning was the word. And it says that he was, his light came into men, and the light was there for healing, but the darkness didn't comprehend it. It's still the same story. But man doesn't get smarter because we continue to fall for the same tricks that Satan has always played. He operates in darkness. He wants us to operate in darkness. He has no new game plan. The reason I can say that with conviction is because if you go back through the book of Genesis and the things in the Old Testament, God already passed judgment on most of the things that we're still fighting about today in our lives and in our countries. So that tells me that the devil has no new tricks. He just keeps on recycling the old ones. And as generation goes to generation, people say, well, we're, we're progressive now, or we're, uh, uh, the other word was we're enlightened. And then the word that uh, I really don't like is to, we live in a woke society. Like people all of a sudden are waking up like they've all been asleep and the world is asleep and we're not accomplishing anything. But the only way that the world accomplishes anything is by keeping the doctrine of the scripture and believing in the scripture. The scripture is God's antidote to the darkness. He is light and in him is no darkness. So James 1.17 one of my favorite scriptures I've quoted hundreds of times. Every good and perfect gift comes down from who? From the him, and he is the father of what? Father of light. In other words, when you're the father of something, that means you made it. You had a hand in his creation. And it says every good and perfect gift comes down from him. He's the giver of life. And it also says with him there's no variableness. In other words, he's constant. God's righteousness is constant. God doesn't change his standards of rightness behavior because all of a sudden we wake up to this great enlightenment or this great, uh, um, I'm losing the word again, great uh, progressive nature. I didn't go to sleep on these things, but society keeps on retreading. Sin keeps on recycling. Sin is the greatest recycled thing in the world because it keeps on recycling itself. And God wants us to have his light in our lives. So it says also that they will be truth breakers. We know we live in a world of truth breakers and false accusers. You know, the internet's a good thing, but the internet is a beehive of trouble that you don't want to get into. Everything that God made is good, but he said, do everything in moderation. Um, sometimes we know too much. We know too much, and we don't focus on the things that we should know because we know everything else. I guess that's part of being a woke society. But then it says they'll become false accusers and incontinent, and that means with no self-control. In other words, I don't want any rules. 
How many of you know that the Ten Commandments, God wrote not because he wanted to give us something to do or something to adhere to, but they were for our own benefit and the benefit of the nation. What are they? Go through them real quick. He'll have no other gods before him. That's exactly what is happening in society and in the world today. We have other gods before God. He said he's a jealous God. He's an all-consuming God. And once you have a revelation of who he is, he will consume that humanism and things out of your mind. Because he is a jealous God and he will have no other gods before him. And we're not to pray, play uh, frivolously with his name. You know, the name Yahweh is so holy in Hebrew that they won't even spell it out. They have initials for it. That's how holy we need to uphold his name. And it's not just about saying bad words. It's applying the, the, the goodness of God and all the great qualities of God for things that don't deserve to be included in that. And then he said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's another thing that we've corrupted. God didn't make that so that, okay, you're following the rules. He knows that man and woman and humans, they need a Sabbath day, which is a rest day from their labors. He set the president in the book, in, in the book of Genesis, where it said on the seventh day, he rested. You know, creating me was a big deal, and creating you was a big deal. It ain't that he rested because he was tired. He rested because he wanted to set a pattern of behavior and a pattern of doctrine for men and women to follow. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, imagine a world, well, we do live in kind of a world where that goes on pretty, pretty normally. Some of our most popular or famous, quote, stars, they go through marriages like they go through a new pair of shoes every day. And that's what society emulates. I could care less what somebody else is dressing and wearing. That doesn't help me in my personal life. So it says that they uh, are fierce and they're despisers of those that are good. They're traitors and they're heady and they're high-minded. That means they think more of themselves than they, than they ought to. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And having a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, from these turn away. A form of, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say that they're very spiritual people. Very spiritual. I guess, you know, you can worship just about anything. But that's putting another God before the one true God. I think, you know how God feels about idols, was the idols that you read about all through the Old Testament. My favorite story is the, is the god Dagon, who was set up in the temple, and it was a false god. And God spoke just how he felt about Dagon. He knocked him off his pedestal, tore his arms off and everything else. He's not going to have other gods before him. And men want to worship something, but they don't want to worship the true God. And that, then it says that they, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. What is that power? The power that we have as Christians that is available to each one of us is the power of the Holy Ghost to move in our lives. People have different kinds of power, but there's only one power that comes from on high. It comes from the God of the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. He doesn't turn. We get on a merry-go-round of belief and winds of doctrine and everything like that. But God 
never changes. The doctrines that he laid down, the commandments that he laid down, they're still in effect today, and God expects us to observe them. Then we get over into the grace thing. Grace is not a license to transgress the law. Grace, if you really study grace and what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, some of those commandments are more difficult than the ones that he gave us in the Old Testament because it goes from the act to the thought and the intent sometimes. So grace is not something that we use just because we're free. He said that uh, he didn't come to, to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. Well, how can that be? When, he, when my old nature was changed into the new nature, the law that threatened me or kept making me behave to a certain extent, he fulfilled all those by his death on the cross. Not that he did away with it, but now through the power of the Holy Ghost, I have the grace to not do those things. And I don't do them because of the law. I do them. I don't do them because of grace. Everybody know what I'm talking about there. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. I'm no longer under the law, even though the law goes into effect when I transgress the law. When I speed and a cop sitting on 275, that's a transgression, and I transgress the law. He has the right to correct me and stop me, okay? But grace tends to make us not do the things that we used to do. And so uh, when it says here that we develop a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. The greatest, the second greatest gift I ever had in my life was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The first was my salvation. Those were both things that I could not do and could not earn, could not pay for, could not go to church enough to get it because it's a gift from on high. It comes from our constant God who doesn't vary and he doesn't turn. So when people say, oh, we're living a woke society and times are changing, humanism wants to change everything, especially what they feel is God's burden to keep them from living exactly like they want to live. Living like people want to live is nothing new. Man will always exalt himself when he feels like there's a vacuum of something for him. They'll make their own idols. But if they just would turn to the one true God, they receive the grace of God. Now, here's what else it says. For this sort, or, well, I don't want to go there. I want to go over to chapter 4, Catherine, if you would. He's, pre he's speaking to uh, Timothy, who was a young preacher here, one of Paul's students, one of his charges. And this, this isn't just to Timothy. This is to us in the days because we prefaced it by saying, in the last days, dangerous times shall come. Here was the charge to Timothy. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. That applies to everybody, not just Timothy, it applies to everybody. He will judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. We're all going to have to endure. I want to get down a little bit. He says, preach the word. How many of you love to share the gospel of Jesus Christ when you get an opportunity? And it's not just words, it's, it's, it's actions. And, you know, I read that they were told to keep in the apostles' doctrine. So I thought, well, what was the apostles' doctrine? The apostles' doctrine is what Timothy and all the rest of them and Paul 
want to do it here too because the apostles were the ones that had walked with Jesus. So what they said and what they did had great importance back then. The apostles' doctrine is what we should be living by today because it was hands-on knowledge. Uh, John said, we're only going to tell you, Peter said, we're only going to tell you what we've seen and handled ourselves. This we know to be true. That's the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread and fellowship. That's what they shared in. So he said, preach the word and be ready. Be ready in season and out of season. God is God no matter what time we have the opportunity. He's always God. He's always constant. And here's what we're to do. It says to reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. You know what? Here's what doctrine is. Doctrine is a principle or position or the body of principles in a branch of knowledge or system of belief. In other words, our whole system of belief is built on the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he taught. You know, the Beatitudes, in every book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they said they were astonished at his doctrine. Because his doctrine changed everything. He brought grace into the picture, and we no longer had to strive or, or manufacture our own salvation by the killing of bulls and goats and things like that. He took care of that for us. You know what we do in return, what he expects in return? Not sacrifice. He expects obedience and praise and worship for us, from us. That's the best way I can show my gratitude toward God is by praising him and worshiping him. That's what he did for me. Who deserves our praise? The one true God, because he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Humanism is still man trying to make a utopia or the place that he thinks he'll be better off living in. But guess what? He's not. And then he says, uh, in long-suffering and doctrine, and then back to chapter 3, this confirms it here in verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure, they will not endure sound doctrine. And I think we live in those days right now. The things that have happened in the churches and things and the way we believe over the last 2,000 years is not sound doctrine. There's, um, you know, it says here you need to endure sound doctrine. So I looked up endure and I thought, why does the scripture say we need to endure sound doctrine? Well, because doing what God wants us to do sometimes is hard. But when you endure something, it means to continue in the same state that you were in. To continue in the same state that you believed in. You're continuing or enduring. So doctrine is, a, is endurance is what it is because there's so much that tries to knock us off of what we believe. How many of you have seen great societal changes over the last 30, 40 years? I mean, I couldn't believe it. Darlene and I are amazed every Sunday that we get up on our street and we're the only ones that go to church. Only one. I was raised in the 50s and back then we grew up in the same neighborhood. And I'll guarantee you almost everybody in that neighborhood, right or wrong, went to God's house on, on Sunday morning. Because they knew that there was something that they needed to hang their hat on. There were things that they did wrong. But man without a savior will always set up his own gods and his own people to worship. How things have changed since then. And it says here, also to endure means this. To remain firm 
under suffering or misfortune without yielding. Sometimes to stand for the things that you need or want, to stand for the gospel causes you to suffer. Anybody ever suffered for the gospel's sake? Anybody ever had people tell you that you're outdated, that you're outmoded, that you're not woke, you're not this, you're not that? Well, this sound doctrine has to do with suffering also because they all suffered then. Now, we haven't suffered to the length that they did or that they are somewhere in the world, but if the day comes where that comes about, if things continue to funnel like they are, and people are pressed more and more into the mold of the world, we are not exempt from suffering here also in our country and in things. It could change like that. And we already know that to be true. But it says also that, but after their own uh, lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears or places that will teach things that are contrary to the word and they'll be successful at it. They'll be successful at the things that they teach. Why? The scripture predicts it because it says they will heap to themselves teachers that will soothe the itch that's in their ear. The things that, that the enemy tries to get us involved in we will, man will, uh, you know, Christian counseling is a great thing, but Christian counseling is not just finding somebody. You, you can talk to 20 different people, but you need, Christian counseling needs to be based on what the Word of God says and not just go to counseling, counseling, counseling until you find somebody that agrees with you. I found in my years of counseling that a lot of people are just looking for agreement. And when you, when you just give them the straight Word of God, Usually the conversation ends pretty quickly because um, anybody know what I'm talking about? Counseling is counseling, but what is our counseling based on? It's based on what the world says, what the Word of God says, not on what is the most convenient thing. In my 40 years in ministry, I've learned sometimes that what is truth. It's not the Bible sometimes, but where we stand in relation to what we want to be the truth. And that's a dangerous place to be in. Because once a church or society removes themselves from what the words, Word of God says, then the whole standard changes of how we should behave. And we don't know what we ought to do. There was a time in the Old Testament, I think, in the book of Samuel, where it says, Everybody did what they wanted to do and what was right in their own eyes. Well, the danger of that is there's no standard of what is right. That's why we need the scripture. That's why we need to endure sound doctrine so that we won't fall into the traps. Every society that has fallen, one of the first things that you will see is a focus on unnatural affections. Now, you can go back through history and look at the Greeks and the Romans and the Assyrians and the Phoenicians and the Egyptians and any, just about anybody you can name. But two things rose up before them nations. Were, were, they were once mighty. One of them was homosexuality, which has always been promoted as something that we need to be enlightened about. We especially live in a day and age today where the woke society will tell you that that's why people don't go to church because they don't want to be convicted. 
There, you know what? If you're not doing anything wrong, there, there's no condemnation or conviction in it. The other thing that arises is a wave of feminism. Now, I'm not a chauvinist. I know the roles of men and women. And if, if a man treats his wife the way that Christ said he treated the church, then a whole lot of problems would go away in our society today. That's, you know, that's God's way. So to top it off today, this really, uh, check that out in society. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not a story. Oh, I forgot to read one more thing. And it says in verse 4, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. How many of you know what a fable is? It's a lying thing, but it also, many fables have animals involved in them. And I got to thinking about that. Well, what, you know, a fable, the end is, might be a rabbit or Aesop's fables or things like that, but it's always centered on an animal or something like that. Or it's a myth about minotaurs and, and these great things. But you notice how they include animals in fables. That's another definition of animals. And it's animal behavior is what it is when we turn our back on the things of God. And here it says if we heap to ourselves teachers that are going to soothe our ears, we'll be turned into fables. In other words, in Romans, like Mike was teaching, God gives us over to a reprobate mind and we function as no better than animals because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Our trip wires have always been the same since man was put on this earth. The fall of man, and that's what sin brings. So I got to thinking about unnatural affection. Well, I know I'm on camera right now, and I'm taking a risk here, but I've just about had it. Today, I read where a certain mainline denomination, mainline, you can interpret that wherever you want, I guess mainline is like, it used to be shooting up heroin, but I don't know. Uh, I think they got a mainline of fishes up here, and uh, I guess that's where you're getting the real stuff. But a mainline, one of the mainline churches today, and, and you know, I'm tired of, of all the firsts that we're experiencing in our society. This is half preaching, half, I'm on my soapbox tonight. Every time somebody does something that no, somebody didn't do that was a certain way, they dote over that first person. That's all you hear in the news. This is the first this and the first that and the first this and the first that that ever did this. And we're supposed to feel all warm and fuzzy because it's like just when a celebrity gets saved uh, and people immediately want that celebrity to be their mouthpiece. Well, that's all well and good, but they had to get saved just like me and you get saved. They don't have any special qualities other than they might have some talent, but before they didn't use it for God, now they use it for God. And that's the only thing that makes it special because the good and perfect gift comes from on high. But this mainline denominations ordained their first transgender bishop. Now, I'm, I love everybody. Those of you that have been around a while, you know we've had... Uh, people of different persuasions going to this church and we loved them and treated them and they stayed as long as they wanted to stay and then they decided they were leaving. I'm not against that. But here, here's what I'm saying. 
a mainline denomination ordained their first transgender bishop. And to top it off, they don't call them he or she. They want to be referred to as they. So just let that sink in a, a minute. This is not the will of God for his mankind. You know what? God made man and women, and he didn't make a bunch of days. And I got to thinking about, you know, what they'll do in society today is they'll cancel you out if you don't believe the way that they believe. Because they shout you down. And that is just lawlessness, which the Bible also says will happen in the last days. There will be lawlessness, and it will be fed by the Antichrist spirit, who Paul said was already in the earth back then. The Antichrist has all kinds of people that work for him, and they are well at work. And they keep on spinning the same stuff and throwing it at you, but they just have a little different mustard on it. Well, that's not what God intended. God created male and female. And when a church or a denomination or a country changes or tries to change what the Word of God says, God does not honor that. God cannot possibly honor that because that makes man a God and it makes God a liar. And he said, I'll have no other gods before me. But one of the last things I want to say is when we say that the Word of God doesn't apply anymore, just think of this. The word of God doesn't apply. Society has changed. What has society been measured by for the last 6,000 years? The word of God. And we've seen it evolve and change over the years. Nowadays, people don't get saved by fire and brimstone. They get saved by love, which is good. But when Peter got up and preached on one of the days of Pentecost, it said, here's what he said to him. He said, I'm preaching unto you, Jesus, who you guys hung on a tree, killed and hung on a tree. And it said many got saved that day because they realized the power of what was going forth. Love will accomplish a lot of things, but some people just get saved by the power of the word and its ability to span generations and speak to every situation. This is what God says. If you do this, I will do this. If you don't do this, then I won't do this for you. He's a God of love, but I'll tell you what, it ain't nothing wrong with getting saved by fire and brimstone anymore. Whatever gets you in God's will and gets you to turn and me to turn from our wicked ways. I needed a shock in my life. Some people are just good people, but we all need a savior. Some by love, some by shock. Jude said we pull them out of hell one at a time that their clothes are even singed by the stink of what goes on around them. So I believe we're moving into a new age where us as Christians are going to have to endure sound doctrine. But go to Ephesians chapter 4 real quick. I'm almost done up here. I get to preach instead of teaching. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 is the remedy. How should we live as Christians? 
How should we exercise sound doctrine? Study up on the Apostles' Creed and find out what that says. And don't be thrown off by the word Catholic. That also means God, not Catholic Church, but the universal church, the church of God. A lot of people read the Apostles' Creed and they say, one holy Catholic church, and they adopt that as these are the guys. No, they aren't the guys. This is the Apostles. That's why they call it the Apostles' Creed, because we want to continue in the doctrine of the Apostles. Look what it says here. Why do we have to endure sound doctrine? It says, for we henceforth are not like children which are tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. How many of you have seen different doctrines come down the road? But you always come back to what? The truth of the word. You know these guys, when we have them come up here and, and speak, we have to trust them to bring the word of God. That they're going to bring the word. That the things that they say are based on the word of God. Do we go down rabbit trails? I do. Everybody does because man's involved in it. But the truth, what is truth? That which agrees with final reality. And what these guys say and what the gals say when they testify should match the truth of God. That's sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. And winds of doctrine are things that blow us off of our course. Winds of doctrine. You know, an airplane always takes off into the wind because it gets them up quicker, faster. That's the truth. The wind is the truth. And you go to the airport and they change what runway you're using because the plane does better work when it's going into the wind, which is the truth of the situation. Why don't they take off across the wind? Because there's certain dynamics that are on the aircraft that it's better to do what they've aeronautically figured out. That's the standard. You just don't take off like we did Sunday in any direction that you want to go. You ever been in the airport and seen them bags that they got hanging on poles? It's quite primitive because they have radars and everything else, but that little bag, that little orange bag, will show you the direction of the wind. And pilots in that rely on that because that's a standard. It's something that they've used for many years. It's not outdated. They've got radar and stuff that they can use but they still trust the simplicity of that bag and that wind blowing, showing you which way the wind's going. So we need certain standards in our life that bring us back to uh, what we need. And it says here, we can't be tossed about by everything that comes down the pike. Paul had seen all that. Paul argued with, read the book of Acts and see how many arguments Paul got into with people. Paul was not around very long before he was in a good argument with somebody. Is that the truth or not? But Paul knew the solution, and we're getting to that. He says, we don't get tossed to and fro. We use sound doctrine, and we're not carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the slight of men, how many of you know that men and women will use the Scripture for their own gain sometimes? Anybody ever experienced that? And cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. But here's the solution. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. 
Verse 16, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by the which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their own minds. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Alienated from the life of God. That means there's no semblance of God in your life. He's not your moral compass. The ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So what do they try to do? They don't want to live by sound doctrine, so they invent their own doctrine, and it's a wind of doctrine, okay? Who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness and work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. We have learned Christ and who he is. The Bible says that we put on the mind of Christ. I don't want anybody to interpret, if you know somebody that has a certain persuasion in their lifestyle. This is not about condemnation. This is about enduring sound doctrine, which the day is coming, I believe, where we're going to have to endure sound doctrine. And it's, it's caused by suffering and things that happen that make it uncomfortable for us. So be aware of that. Sound doctrine is important. How many of you believe, well, how many of you believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. How many of you believe that Mary had other children besides Jesus? Where is that in the scripture? Well, you can look it up, it'll tell you. How many of you believe that he came to this earth, was born of a virgin, that when he was 30 years old, he started his ministry, and he taught for three years, and then he said he laid down his life and he went to the cross. How many of you believe he went to the cross for our sins, for our salvation? That's what we know. That's what we know to be true. They took him off the cross because the Sabbath day was coming. There's the law. Isn't it interesting that two things met there? The law and the grace met at that site. There was so much accomplished on Calvary that we can't even fathom what was accomplished. So many things in that equation. The law said crucify him. He made himself equal with God. Anybody that makes himself equal with God is blaspheming. He must be put to death. He must be this. He must be that. And as they hung on that cross, the law was fulfilled. They were trying to fulfill the law because his teaching threatened them. Because they were law keepers. And at the same time, grace hung right there in front of all of them. And they rejected grace and retreated into the law where there was no salvation. And they died in that same thing that they thought was giving them life. And they hung the Savior of the world on a tree. Wow. How many of you believe that he was placed in a borrowed tomb? And he rose again on the third day. And he appeared to over 500 disciples. Over 500 disciples. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And then he said, he took him out to the Mount of Olives and he was consumed up into a cloud. And an angel appeared and said, why are you standing here looking up in the sky? This same Jesus who left this way is going to come back the same way. He's going to come back the same way. That's a promise that the devil can't stop. But who can he stop? He tries to stop us from experiencing the glory of his appearing. And brethren, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him and in him there's no sickness there's no lack there's no stain there's no blood he crucified that on the cross he took it upon himself not just for himself it says he put that to shame all of the shame he put to shame because he suffered on that cross and he said i'm coming back one day and people don't believe that he's coming back but i believe he is and that's sound doctrine because that's what the scripture says it ain't he might come back Maybe he'll come back. He's coming back. And every eye shall see him. And those that pierce him shall look upon him. That's the gospel. That's what we believe. There's people that don't believe in the resurrection today because they say he swooned. Well, I don't know what a good swoon is. But what he went through, a good swoon wouldn't cancel it out. It had to be the power that we sing that song all the time, Jeremy, about the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us and that's what we believe today do we see the results every time no do we have to wait patiently yes but that same power the raising from the dead is in us and it's a power that he received the holy ghost is what raised him out of that tomb and it's what gives us new life and gives us power in the spirit that's what we believe today that is sound doctrine Not because I said it, but because he said it. And in the world that we live in today, where man wants to enthrone man, it's not a new thing. There's only one thing that holds true. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. There's another scripture that said, it will endure forever. And I just read you what endure means. Over the last 2,000, 4,000 years, do you know the attacks that have been on the Word of God? How many attacks there's been? The devil has been, since day one, trying to discredit what God said. Are there things that I don't understand about the Scripture? Yes. There's things that you don't might not be able to explain. But I do understand the things that I understand. And that's enough evidence for me to say, this is it right here. This is it. You know what intellectuals want to do? They want to be enlightened and progressive and they want to be woke. So they need everything explained to them. And they won't believe the simplicity of the gospel because they think it has to be complicated because their lives are complicated. Life is not complicated if you just put it in his hand. Amen. This is it right here. Sound doctrine. And it says the word of God will endure forever. Do I not understand things? Maybe. But guess what? Mark Twain said once, don't worry about what you don't know. Worry about what you know and don't pay attention to. Now, he's not in the Bible. He's kind of a coarse fella. But he knew how to quote the Bible. 
We have enough to believe in right now. The evidence is overwhelming. But let me warn you, the, the world is going to wax more evil, more evil, more evil. Because now we've got technology joined in with our humanism that we never had before. And so that it's just, it's just rough right now. But it was rough for Timothy. He was in charge of a big church, as Jeremy taught us. He was in charge of a big church. A big church, and he was a young man, and he had problems with Janus and Jambres and all that that wanted to stand before him and make a hard time for him. And Paul said, don't let anyone despise your youth. You preach the gospel. In other words, endure sound doctrine.